Rogue Radio. Now available on Mixcloud at mixcloud.com forward slash rogue country. Keep it rogue. What's going on, Into the Vandals? Welcome to episode 49 of Into the Van. I'm Mike West. We are so close to hitting 50 episodes. I'm really excited to hit that milestone. I can't believe I've done it for 50 episodes. I can't believe people have listened for 50 episodes. Thank you so much for tuning in and supporting it. I do really fucking appreciate it. How have you guys been? What have you been up to? Have you got everything sorted? Have you done nothing on your to-do list? I hope so. Um, Yeah, I've been having fun. David Quinn's uh, last episode was really fun to do. I got some great feedback from it. It was nice to chat to someone I hadn't known before. Today, I've known Banjo Jen quite a while. Uh, we've only met once, which is the weird thing about this scene and with music is you hear about people and you hear about certain folks and music and stuff and then you very rarely run into them. Uh, we got to play a Hen House Presents a gig last year, which was awesome. It was great to finally get to see her live, and I knew I had to have her on the podcast at some point. Um, so, yeah, we finally made it happen, but before that, let's get into it. How has your past two weeks been since the last episode? I hope you're doing well. I'm doing really well. I've got some great news. I'm going to be opening for the Bridge City Sinners on August the 8th of this year in Bradford at the Underground. That's the, the Bridge City Sinners. I'm so fucking excited for that. They're one of my favorite bands. They're folk punk fury, and I'm really looking forward to fucking playing. I shout out to Chris, who uh, got me onto that bill. Chris Dover is also a phenomenal musician I'm going to be having on this podcast soon. I'm currently listening to his new album, which is coming out soon, and it's fucking phenomenal. It's going to be amazing. I hope you're doing well. We've got some two heavy t-shirts available back in Bandcamp now, so over on my Bandcamp store, they're not country enough, not blues enough not folk enough too heavy t-shirts are back you can get them on my bandcamp store at mike333west.com while they're still available i've got mothman t-shirts still thank you so much to everyone who's been listening it's been a trip to release a song and to have so many people vibe with it i'm excited for the Bridge City Sinners show and going forward for some exciting shows and some recordings. Uh, Mike West and the Missing Links is going to be a thing, which is going to be a trip to finally get to do live. I'm going to drop you a little taste of Mothman now if you've not heard it. really hope if you have listened to it you've enjoyed it if this is the first time you're hearing it go listen to the full thing it's really good in my personal and professional and humble opinion and let's get down to it with banjo jen his single fine line came out on april 29th it's phenomenal we get into it here her new album is going to be out in september and it was great to talk to someone who's been such a 
big part of the scene for so long when I first started playing. I think me and Jen maybe started around the same time, but, you know, she made waves in Sheffield and, you know, she's one of the pillars of the Americana root scene in the UK. And I was really excited to talk to her because she has, you know, the talent and the songwriting and the live skills to back up her reputation. It's a phenomenal thing. So let's fucking get down to it, guys. Without further ado, this is episode 49 of Into the Van with Mike West and Banjo Jen. So yeah, thanks so much for making the time. So it was with Banjo Jen, how long have you been performing or when did you start thinking to be called Banjo Jen and perform under that name? <laughs> um, it was a nickname I was given, actually. So um, I moved to Sheffield in 2015 and um, yeah, had a banjo on my back, basically. Uh, <laughs> just started learning to play sort of a year or so before um and when I came to Sheffield I actually moved in uh, with another girl called Jen called Jenny and so it became a way to differentiate me everyone just called me Banjo Jen um and there was quite a few Jens actually at the time and so yeah it was a nickname and I started playing um with my friend Ash Gray who I'd met in Sheffield uh so at the start you know it was just mm. part of a country trio we did like covers mm. uh some of Ash's own songs but I was mainly just playing backup um and so it wasn't until uh when would it have been uh 2016 I started doing some open mics mm. with some of my own songs and so that was the first time I suppose that officially <laughs> I performed as Banjo Jen yeah. <laughs> No, it's so interesting. Like I sometimes kick myself. I don't know if I should have just read like because obviously there's like the white buffalo or beans on toast or I mean something that's just a bit that it's not just my name because I just feel mm-hmm. it has like with banjo Jen. It's like you know what you're getting. Like kind <laughs> does of what it says away. on the tin. Yeah, it does what it says <laughs> on the tin. It's a really good thing, and I think that it's a nickname that it's not a self coined nickname because that'd be really cringy but to have yeah. like a nickname anointed to you and you to like carry on is <laughs> a really cool thing what was it about the banjo that made you want to pick it up um good question I've been asked that a bit and I'm not entirely sure no. to be honest I think uh so my, my interest in kind of more Appalachian bluegrassy uh old-timey kind mm. of music started when I saw a dance team mm. uh years ago like 20 years ago um and there were an Appalachian, Appalachian sort of clog dance team <clears throat> at a folk festival. And I just loved the music mm. that they were dancing to. I loved the dancing, but I also loved the music. And I ended up joining that team uh, and dancing with them because dance was always my main hobby, mm. my main interest for years. Um, and so obviously, as I was dancing, I was getting more into that kind of music um, and loved the sound of the banjo in that music. Mm. And yeah, for some reason, I think it was like some kind of early midlife crisis because I got to about 30 and I just decided I was going to buy a banjo um, and try and learn how to play it. But it wasn't like a deep burning desire or anything. It was kind of more of a a whim thing that like I thought, oh, yeah, I'll buy one and I'll see if I can give it a go. (laughs) No, No, that's awesome. My mate had a similar midlife crisis and bought a banjo. 
and it, I have that banjo because he gave up on it within like a week. So he just gave it to me and he's never asked for it back. And now it's like in a guitar case over there that I've been it's like tune up and get it restrung and cleaned. But was there anything because what like so the dancing and that music was that your first exposure to it? Because I know I don't know if it's kind of true for everyone, but I think the O Brother Where Art Thou film from 2001, I think was quite a big turning point for roots music in like kind of like modern popular culture. Was the dance thing the first real exposure you had to that type of music? I guess probably so. Yeah, thinking back, because um, I would have seen, uh, don't want to give my age away, but I would have seen that dance team in like the late 90s. Mm. Um, and up until then, I suppose I'd only really, like I'd, country music was sort of on my radar because my mum had listened to uh, John Denver mm. a lot and my auntie and uncle were really into Dolly Parton uh, and Johnny Cash. So I, I kind of knew the classics and that sort of music, but I didn't really know the more traditional old timey mm. kind of stuff until I joined the dance team. And then the fiddler John um, knows loads of the old fiddle tunes. And so, yeah, I was suddenly introduced to all the things that, yeah, would be on like Oh Brother Where Art mm. Thou, which came out a few, you know, a few years later and yeah. made it a bit more mainstream i guess yeah, yeah no because that came out when i was 11 right um, and that was what kind of like i watched it when it came out i think or i, I rented it from blockbuster so it must have been like after it had been released and i got to see it and that was what kind of like woke me up to that type of music but coming from like a dance background and having that in your head a lot of your songs do have that kind of rhythm and movement to dance to is that something that it's like in your head that's always been like the focus is to have that type of expression combined with your music yeah do you know I think it's not intentional but it's it's always happened so I think it must be a subconscious Mm. thing um because I'm definitely a dancer rather than a musician you know Mm. I've come to music late I've had to learn everything um it's not something that comes particularly natural to me as as such whereas the dancing does Mm. and I think that yeah the fact that I've always danced and had to had to work with rhythm uh, has a massive impact on my Mm. music yeah because when I listen to my stuff so much of it does have that very rhythmic feel Mm. compared to a lot of banjo music (laughs) No, it's great. It's got that real stomach to it. And what I liked about Fine Line was it does have that like groove and rhythm and stomp to it while also being like, it's not just a piece that you dance to. It's a piece you can enjoy like anywhere and everywhere, but it does have this would kill it. One of those dance halls with that type of people around it. Yeah, I suppose so. Like the sort of square dance, like traditional kind of, uh, yeah, American uh yeah, I can I can see it working in that situation. It wasn't intentional, like, but like I say, a lot of my tunes, I don't know, just seem to be like quite rhythmic, I suppose. Awesome. I'm moving to Sheffield from 2015. Where did you move from? Uh, I'd been living in Barnsley for 10 years mm. before that. Cool. So I, I had a very... Um, <laughs> A very conventional, settled life uh, before that with a very responsible job. Um, and I kind of, yeah, I like to say I ran away to join the circus. <laughs> I threw it all up in the air and came to Sheffield with a banjo on my back and not much else, to be honest. <laughs> no, that's awesome. Was there anything in your head when you did that type of thing? Was it just to like start a new chapter and stuff? Because that can be like a really 
scary, intimidating thing to just kind of move away from what you already know? Yeah, it was really scary. Um, it was a combination of factors, I think. I'd settled down quite young um, mm. and, you know, bought a house and I was a teacher. So it was a massively like responsible job um, and like older kids as well. So I was, you know, it was sixth form and I was trying to get them the grades to get into uni. Mm. And, you know, so I'd, I'd had a lot of years of working very intensely and, mm. you know, throwing myself into that. You know, it's a very consuming job and I really cared about doing it right, you know. Um, and I think, yeah, I'd got to a point where I, I needed some kind of change. Mm. And then what sort of really, I suppose, uh impacted it as well was I got a health condition mm. uh, I got fibromyalgia and all of a sudden it was like well I don't know if I can teach anymore because my body and my brain are like going weird and you know uh, it just sort of made me question loads of things uh, so yeah I was in a lovely relationship for a long time um, absolutely amazing guy lovely house <laughs> dog great job but for some reason I just I got to this point where I was like I need there was something in me that just needed change and I decided to um yeah it was really it was the toughest decision of yeah. my, my life you know but I decided to kind of make a bit of a fresh start uh and it it kind of happened by accident I suppose that I ended up in Sheffield and, and sort of in the music scene because I'd met a few musicians and sort of that catapulted the music a lot faster I suppose than it would have done if I was just hanging out on my own and didn't yeah. know anyone um so yeah it all kind of spiraled really as soon as I moved here I got very involved in like yeah just all the music stuff and it's such an amazing community here yeah. uh, it's easy yeah. to get sucked in. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's the thing. Like, for as an outsider, like I'm obviously in a, the world for like the Northwest and seeing the Sheffields and especially around like Martin Bedford and the Honeybees, a Blues Club and a Wagon Wheel and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Was that already in place when you got there in 2015? Was that scene already established and on the rise or was were you kind of in like watching the formation of it? Um, no, it was already established, but not for too long, I don't think, mm. uh, as in the Honeybee Blues Club. But I mean, Martin's been, yeah, Martin's been uh, you know, involved <laughs> for a long time. But um, yeah, that sort of incarnation of like the specific sort of Honeybee Blues Club, I think, had started maybe a year or two before. Um, so I guess it was in its early-ish days mm. compared to now. Um, but yeah, Martin took a chance on me and put me on... Um, I think it was Peace in the Park, the first mm. one I played from. I don't know if you've heard of that. It's a free festival that they put on in Sheffield each year. It's not happened, unfortunately, yeah. obviously during the pandemic. And I don't think it's happening this year because they couldn't raise the funds. It doesn't, you know, it's just volunteers yeah. and, and it, it takes quite a lot of, uh, you know, just people's funding out of the generosity, like they don't get any extra help. So I don't think it's going on, but yeah, he put me on that. Uh, and that, yeah, that was one of the first sort of times I think I played for the Honeybee Blues Club. And then obviously since then, you know, he's, he's put me on at quite a lot of events and stuff. And it's, it's been lovely because like the audience are so supportive and, you know, they come to a lot of gigs. So yeah, it feels like a really lovely sort of little community. Yeah. Awesome. And who are the other artists around you and around that scene that are like the regulars of it that you've always kind of like started with and like risen up with? Um, I guess like Ash Gray would be the main 
one mm. because like I played with him and he was instrumental in like giving me the confidence to perform my songs because uh, I wouldn't sing in front of anyone. So when I got to Sheffield um, and started playing with him, he really wanted me to do harmonies and sing along on choruses with with all the things. I was like, oh, I can't do it. And he took me to the studio and sort of got me on a mic and took me to open mics and stuff. So he was really instrumental in helping me. Um, so I've always you know, been a big supporter of, of Ash and his music's great. Um, there's also Fargo Railroad Company, who I know you know well. Yeah, um, unfortunately. So, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, they uh, they play a lot for Martin. And then there's obviously all, like, he, he gets a lot of, like, touring blues, mm. uh, usually guys, <laughs> blues guys coming through. Um, so, yeah, there's quite a lot of, like, cool sort of, they do a combination of like sometimes original stuff, but a lot of the old slide guitar type yeah. blues and things. Um, but there's also, I mean, Sheffield's just got a massive scene. Like, well, it's not massive. That's the thing. Sheffield's like a village, <laughs> um, but it's got a good music scene in terms of variety because yeah. obviously it's famed for more like, you know, you'd got all the stuff back in the eighties, um, you know, human league and, and all that lot coming out. But then, uh Arctic Monkeys obviously then had like the indie band kind of reputation. So there's all that still going on. You know, there's loads of mm. cool like up and coming bands um who are nothing to do with blues and country and Americana. Um so and then there's like you know lots of cool stuff going on with um more the kind of rap side and mm. you know uh Franz Vaughn and like, like there's just like such a variety yeah. of uh, so cool. of acts you know mm. yeah cool and with like your own music who were your biggest influences like when you started like listening to music and then when you actually picked up a banjo like who were you listening to that made you want to play that and keep you playing until like now it's really weird, you know, because I don't, <laughs> I don't really think of specific influences for the banjo mm. as such. Um, I don't really listen to that much banjo music, <laughs> uh, but my influences are all over the shop, really, because I was a grunge kid. Mm. So in the nineties, you know, that was one of my big things. I loved Pearl Jam, Soundgarden, Smashing Pumpkins. Um, and I think, funnily enough, even though the, my banjo music is absolutely obviously nothing like that, there's still that kind of, I don't know, that idea of like having a bit of grit in mm. there may, maybe comes from that. Yeah. Um, and but, I, but also at the same time as being a really grungy kid, I also have always loved proper pop <laughs> and melodic like I'm just a sucker for melody, basically. Mm. A, a melody and a beat is all I need, really. So, like, I've always loved ABBA, Erasure, um, you know, Deacon Blue. Like what I what I call like just like good pop. Mm. Like so, there's all of that. But then, obviously, there's the more folky country yeah. leaning stuff. Um, one of the first things that got me into that sort of maybe more singer-songwriter country stuff was, uh, do you know Elin Jewell? Yeah. So um, Bob Harris played an Elin Jewell track. It must have been like early 2000s. And uh, I, I just absolutely loved it. And I bought mm. her album, um, Letters from Sinners, Sinners and 
strangers, sinners and strangers, I think. Um, and that just really kind of hooked me somehow. It's quite bluesy. I don't know, kind of, again, it's got quite a driving beat to a lot of the things, but in quite a laid back bluesy mm. country kind of way. Um, so I found that quite inspiring. But of course, all this was years before I was to ever pick up a banjo, but I think it just all filters in, you know. Yeah, it's um, just been in the ether until you actually pick it up and then it all kind of like funnels down. Yeah, there's like bits of, yeah, just absolutely everything. Because, I mean, I loved the Dixie Chicks album, Home. That was a like when I went traveling and lived in Canada, that was one of the few CDs I took with me and so played it to death. Um, again, back in the early 2000s, I guess. Um, and, yeah, uh, Old Crow Medicine Show, mm. you know, uh, that that first sort of main album I absolutely loved. Uh, and, and and I love um, like Frank Turner is like a songwriter I really like, but again he's very gritty and punky in yeah. his like acoustic stuff. So yeah, all kinds of influences really. Um, there was one banjo, <laughs> one that I saw quite early on as I was learning. A guy called Morgan O'Kane. Mm. I think it's Morgan O'Kane, uh, but he's like a busker on the on the New York subways. Uh, and I just loved his energy. Like he mm. played it like absolutely kind of thrashing it and um, sat on a suitcase with a, you know, whatever they call it, like so you can beat the, yeah. the the case. And yeah, I don't know. There was just something about that idea of just having like that foot pedal beat and the and the way he was playing. Mm. Um, that was quite inspiring. And that was one of maybe the turning points where I realized I wanted to do more frail and claw hammer banjo, mm. very rhythmic rather than you know the picking bluegrassy yeah. style stuff yeah no that's cool and i think like the grunge stuff i think has had more of an influence on the modern root scene than people either want to admit or care to admit because you know you only have to look at the nirvana unplugged album for like the lead belly covers and stuff and mm. you know check shirts beards and long hair <laughs> like that like i'm guilty of that as fuck and it is that type of look that is that grungy scene, but it's like acoustic instruments and stripping everything back and being more honest with stuff. I think grunge does have a lot of explaining to do for the alt country and like the more modern alt country punk folk punk scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, I love, um, so like the Minneapolis scene in the sort of late 80s, um, two, two of my like, absolute top favorite bands of all time have come out of there um which is soul asylum will always be my favorite band mm. um and the jayhawks and you can hear like especially in things like soul asylum there's that punk kind of punky grunge influence but then also it's yeah that alt country where it's it's got a nod to yeah. more country-leaning stuff. And, um, yeah, you know, ones like um, the old 97s as well yeah. that came out of that. Like, I, I love all I love all that as well. Mm. <laughs> oh, cool. And lyrically, like, what I enjoy about your stuff is you can easily, if you have a banjo and you're stomping, you can go, like, the kind of not generic route, but the, the traditional route of the same old type of like topics and things, but you've always had like this spin and perspective on it. That's been really interesting. Do you think that's been from like your pop influences and like your more broader influences that you haven't kind of fell into those pitfalls of like cliches? 
Uh, well, that's nice of you to say. <laughs> Thanks. Um, I, don't, I don't know. Yeah, I guess. Maybe it's just because the influences are from all over. Mm. And I think I've always been... Um, I don't know, there's like, there's definitely a time for introspection and I like songs that are quite heartfelt Mm. and I've certainly written more of those in the last few years. Um, They're not recorded yet, but, you know, if I'm playing live, I'll I'll do some of those. But um, I I just get a bit bored of like thinking about, I, I always bring my own spin and perspective to a song but I don't want every song to be about my experience yeah. and my feelings. I quite like, you know, I get inspiration from stuff around me. So if there's a good story or character or I get a feeling about something, you know, I'd rather explore that than do yet another song about, you know, my insecurities <laughs> or love problems mm. or whatever. You know what I mean? I, I, you know, I, I do like kind of heartfelt songs, but let's face it, you know, there's like so many millions of songs about love, mm. aren't there? Having said that, obviously, fine line that I'm bringing out is about love. It's one of my few actual love songs. <laughs> and that's a story song. Is that one of those ones where it's written from a character's perspective and it's a love song like that? Or is that um, actually one? fine line's quite personal? Mm. Yeah, it's kind of about um, what I was mentioning earlier about that sort of throwing my life up in the air and having to move on Mm. uh you know feeling that draw and that kind of lost love um even though that love was very nice and Mm. you know very good uh yeah that sort of needing to let something go so Mm. yeah fine lines i mean it's got a lot of artistic license but yeah it's that one is actually based on quite personal experiences i'd say yeah did you feel like you needed because obviously this is like maybe six seven years since that happened do you feel like you've needed that time to have some distance to be able to write something about that because i was talking to an artist uh, the other day and it's you don't want to cheapen your emotional experiences and emotional moments by instantly taking them and writing a song about it sometimes you need to be able to sit in it and reflect on it for a while and then if a song comes out of it down the line but i always hate when i'm catching myself experience something and then i'm like oh that might work in a song and i'm like just fucking <laughs> just feel for five seconds you piece of shit <laughs> um oh it's an interesting question i think i'm maybe a bit the opposite you know mm. i think i'm more when it's, uh, raw. when it's raw like when mm. i'm feeling it uh, sometimes the inspiration comes because fine line was actually written probably gosh guess more like 2017 Mm. so it was it was quite quite soon in maybe a year or so uh in but yeah uh yeah I mean it varies obviously but now I tend to write more current feelings actually yeah not always but I I think yeah maybe more often than not it's kind of dealing with it now it's like while you're mid-argument you're picking up (laughs) banjo yeah what they're saying back to them yeah, there's definitely a few of those songs. <laughs> <laughs> How come, obviously, Lost and Found came out in 2018? You wrote this in 2017 stuff. Was there a decision-making process behind what went on Lost and Found and what's coming on Cloud of Dust? Um, Lost and Found was basically the main ones I had ready at the time because that was the first recordings. So they they were like the four the four originals that are on there. They were like 
you know, pretty much the first four songs I wrote. Not not quite, because um, the first song I ever wrote is on this next one, actually. But I don't know, they were just the four that felt the most polished at the mm. time, because um, it was all a bit, I, it was, you know, it was such a new thing. I just wanted something to sell at shows, because I'd just yeah. started performing, and I just wanted something out there that showed what I could do. So to be honest, we never really intended Lost and Found to be, um like a, a big release or anything mm. I mean I didn't do anything about it I literally just slapped it up on Spotify when it was done I didn't you know <laughs> didn't do any like pre-release stuff um it, it was more to just have a physical CD to yeah. to sell at gigs really but but having said that I'm still proud of how the songs came out um and that's largely due to Mark Stoney the producer because he's just amazing at everything um so yeah, like I'm still proud of that EP, but it was basically yeah what was ready to go yeah. at the time because we started recording that in 2017, um, came out in 2018, and then these songs on Cloud of Dust, I guess the the plan behind them was that they're the more country leaning songs, so. Um, they, they kind of felt like they'd go together in a little collection. Whereas when I'm thinking about a full album at some point in the next few years, I sort of felt like these might work just on their own as a little mm. kind of more country style EP. Mm. So that's why, yeah, that's why they're together really. Yeah, No, that makes total sense. I know I recorded my EP and it was, I was doing a few tracks in like March of 2017, I was just wait like doing them to try and have something. And then I got booked on a tour at the beginning of April. I was like, oh shit, I just need to get fucking something else so mm. I can sell it at gigs. What was the response when you first started playing and you had like that CD and stuff with obviously the playing with like Martin shows and things? Was it a good crowd response? Obviously, we're sat here talking, so it must have made some <laughs> waves. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, we had an ICP launch at the Dorothy Parks in Sheffield and yeah, sold, sold a lot of CDs. And, and then when I, yeah, I was sort of supporting other people, um, it's, yeah, it was, it was quite popular really. It surprised me because it just always makes me laugh because I, because I don't really listen to banjo music. I never <laughs> think anyone's going to want to listen to my songs. Um, but I hope that they're not just like, you know, boring banjo, but um, yeah, it it was great, I suppose. Um, and it and it's amazing how many people still do sort of say, "Oh, I really like you know whatever track." And mm. "Sell My Soul for Dimes" always really popular with kids. Apparently, I've yeah. had so many parents <laughs> tell me that they can. And I'm thinking, oh God, the kids are there singing along to the chorus. <laughs> Sell my soul for a dime. <laughs> That's so good though that it's taken like a life of its own. That's what you want as an artist is to have that type of feedback and that response from songs like that yeah yeah no it's great um the kids always love my stuff for some reason but um funnily enough I've got, <laughs> I've got a gig on uh, Monday morning um it's called concertinis and it's this program of uh events where it's it's for kind of naught to five-year-olds uh mm. but but I suppose more for like the parents, uh, you know, because they get to come to a live music gig. Um, but then there's like props for the kids and stuff. So it's the first time I've done one. Um, but I've got that on Monday. So that's going to be interesting. Um, yeah. Songs about I'm having to like, you know, edit my set list yeah. a little bit. <laughs> 
songs about cheating, murder, whiskey, you know, heartbreak. It's just like, oh, here we go, kids. <laughs> yeah, they've, they've got to learn early. Did you ever watch Parks and Recreation? Not yet. It's on my oh, uh, watch list. <laughs> there's a bit in that where a band gets hired for a, a kid's birthday party and they have a song called Sex Her. And he changes the name of the song to Sex Bears and he starts singing it. And they're like, the problem with that song isn't her. And they're like, it's sex. And it's like, no shit. And you have to go write, like, write a new one. So as long as you aren't doing that, it's fine. No, I, no, I think um, I think we'll be pretty safe. I've just taken out Jack and Jill, which is the um, murder ballad nursery rhyme, because I was like, it's got quite a repetitive chorus. And I was like, yeah, the kids start singing about, you know, murder on repeat. That's probably not good because they might link it to the actual nursery rhyme and grow up. <laughs> thinking that Jack and Jill's a murder uh, tale. So I've taken that one out. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what? Considering how weird fairy tales and stuff are, it probably was do you, like a murder. Well, that's why I wrote it, because yeah. I just thought it was always suspicious. Like, what happened on that hill, you know? Yeah. So that, that was the basis for the song. <laughs> yeah. The thing that fucked me up once was I saw online, and it was like, at no point in Humpty Dumpty does anyone ever mention he's an egg. And I was like, oh, shit, yeah, like, what the fuck happened to that guy? Hundreds of pieces. <laughs> yeah. Did they just pull him apart? <laughs> but I, I feel like this might segue. I've got in my notes, Metal Smith with the question mark next to it because it was in your bio on your website. Elaborate. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, this is me and my life of being a jack of all trades, master of none. So my um, degree is in jewellery design and silversmithing. Mm. <laughs> so, yes, I did a three-year degree at the School of Jewellery in Birmingham, which is very prestigious. Mm. Um, can't do a bloody thing with anything that I <laughs> learned on my degree. <laughs> so, yeah, technically, um, I suppose I have a degree in, in silversmithing, metal mm. design, Um but yeah, I've never really done that much with it. I, I did try um, when I went into teaching, I taught art and design, creative art. Um, so I would definitely bring, you know, elements into that. Uh, and then I went sort of part time when I was teaching to try and do some design work on the side. Mm. So my plan was always to sort of build up maybe a bit of a jewellery and metal um design business alongside the teaching but I don't know to be honest like looking back I think my heart was never in it mm. it was always something that I was all right at and I'd sort of trained in it so felt that I should probably do something with it um but yeah I never really made it happen and, and looking back I think that's probably just because I didn't really have the passion for yeah. it and I didn't know that at the time uh, I thought I was just being slack <laughs> but now that I know what the passion feels like for the songwriting. Mm. I realised, ah, that's what I needed. Like, that passion wasn't there for the art and the metal stuff. It is there now for the writing and the music. Mm. So, yeah, it's just yet another thing that I can kind of do a bit of, but not very well. <laughs> mm. I've, I've spent my life basically teaching other people to do things better than I can because <laughs> I was a much better teacher uh, than I was an art student. <laughs> <laughs> I could help other people be really creative. <laughs> well, I think it's interesting because obviously you've always had that kind of creativity in you. And I think it's hard because in the way education is now, it's like 
the first kind of inclination or passion you have, they're like, well, that's what you're going to do. I think there's a lot of pressure on people growing up. You know, like when you see like a kid and they kick a football and they score a goal by look, they're like, he's going to be a pro footballer or a kid will like mm-hmm. hit a drum and it'll be in time. They're like he's going to be, there's like, you kind of get pigeonholed straight away into some stuff. And that, yeah. pressure, that pressure can kind of mount to be like, well, that's what I need to do. That's what and you start kind of convincing yourself that is what you want to do. And the creativity is there. You have that passion there, but it's still trying to find like a way out. And it's not that. And it's, you're getting blocked off. And then you finally find something that clicks and then it makes sense. Yeah. And I think like if you can do, you know, the more things, the better, really. I mean, I do kind of envy people who know, you know, who've always known what they wanted to do uh, and have always sort of, you know, known their passion. Because I do sometimes think I wish I'd found this a lot of years earlier when I had more energy and, Mm. like, when I could have maybe explored it in a different way to when you're older with more responsibilities and stuff. Um, So I I kind of sometimes envy people. But then I think actually, like, you know, I I wouldn't change anything. I I like the fact that, I mean, I studied A-level English and always loved writing um which I like thinking about it now I think that comes out in my songwriting Mm. that I love writing but for many many years I just didn't use that because I didn't go on to study English so it kind of fell by the wayside um but I've always loved writing and poetry um but then like like dance was my main hobby so doing ballet and then doing the more Appalachian stepping type stuff and tap um I've always loved like a taught photography as well I was a darkroom specialist so all the kind of old chemical photography mm. and I don't know just having all those creative interests um just makes yeah makes it makes life more interesting (laughs) and maybe if I'd found music in my late teens early 20s then I wouldn't have had chance to explore all those things that I also enjoyed so yeah yeah Yeah. that's the thing I think it's important to have that type of stuff because I know when people are like I don't have any hobbies it's like how hard have you looked because there's a lot (laughs) of shit to do in the world (laughs) yeah it's hard because I think there is a pressure that like if you don't monetize your hobby it's not worth anything, but if you're getting enjoyment out of it and you're finding a way to pursue your passion and find out a bit about yourself, that's reward in itself. It doesn't have to be, you know, if you enjoy making jewelry, you can do that and you can sketch designs up. It doesn't mean it has to ever leave the page, but it just means that you've enjoyed Mm. the process of it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, yeah, if kids can be encouraged to, be as creative as they can across all disciplines. That's really important. But obviously it's not prioritized, unfortunately, no. in education. <laughs> yeah, no, it's not. Like I remember I wanted to be a teacher for a while and I just saw how PGCs were going and how like the culture was going. I was like, I'm not fucking touching this with a part hole. <laughs> but I did have fun teaching. Like I taught at a homeless shelter. I taught music there for a bit and I taught a kids oh. project. And it's people do like to learn things and people do want to do creative and passionate things but it's just the setting that it's in always tends to be like the main pullback have you found that in your experiences teaching and stuff um what what do you mean sorry like the setting yeah so it's as in in school or in school or it's like if if you just sat down with someone and was like i'm going to teach you how to play banjo 
and we're going to learn a song. Everyone go, cool. And it's like, I'm going to teach you to play banjo, but we're going to fill out like three levels of paperwork first. <laughs> and we're going to make you do a test at the end of the day. And I go, go fuck yourself. But yeah, yeah, yeah. The setting and like the requirements, I think, to teach people and to get people interested can be like... Yeah, I found that a lot with... Um, so when I was an art teacher, um, I taught a lot of BTECs. I don't know if you've come across BTEC mm. qualifications, but like they're very tick boxy. They're yeah. great in some respects because they have a lot of units. So you can cover a lot of topics and things. So um, we did some really great projects with the students. But, you know, the downside was, yeah, for every project there was, you know, you pass criteria, you merit your distinction and all these tick boxes and they had to do certain things to get this and certain things. And it, yeah, a lot of it is very tick boxy and very data based. And yeah, I can't, yeah, I don't miss any of that, I have to say. <laughs> no, and that's what like, because I did music and like union stuff and it the second it's like academic and it's all these tick boxes, it just kills any level of crazy if he's like i was assigned i had to do like eight hours of guitar practice a week and i had to go to a tutor and i was like well i'm not fucking touching a guitar again for the next three years because it just completely like broke it out of me right yeah god that yeah that's pretty uh regimented isn't it yeah <laughs> it's just like I, when people have that drive like eddie van halen like the stories go that like his brother used to go to school eddie van halen wouldn't and he'd sit on his bed with like a pack of smokes in his guitar and when his brother came back from school, the cigarettes would be gone and he'd still be in the exact same place with the guitar. And it's like, that's an incredible drive and like focus. But if that had been like, he'd been told to do that, we wouldn't have got Van Halen. Mm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, with like the UK country scene, how have you seen it evolve? Because I there's not many interviews I could find online with you but there was one from forever british country and they're talking about like the uk country scene and stuff how have you seen it kind of grow from your experiences from 2015 to now um you know i'm probably the wrong person to ask because i'm not very good at keeping up with like current country stuff so much i'd Mm. say a bit broader like americana i've been more involved with um like i go to the americana music association um conference and showcase and festival uh in january that they do in london and i've been to that a couple of times and then the online one when it was covid and stuff um so i've found that like that's a really good way to keep on top of like you know some of the rising mm. sort of stars and it feel it does feel like it's been a very growing scene over the last few years um I think there's definitely a bit more recognition about roots and Americana kind of music um and then yeah you've got the more I suppose what you'd call maybe more commercial country sort of side as well um which I, I know less about the artists in that scene um but yeah I've watched a few like I mean uh Kezia Gill did amazing like sort of live streams all through lockdown and you know grew a really organic like fan base through doing that and I think she's doing pretty well from what I can tell um on the sort of country side of things and then I don't know there's just like some great artists over here and it does feel like it's growing and there's more appetite for it but I still I don't know I think there's still more of a draw when it's 
an international artist coming over, yeah. all of a sudden the audience comes out the woodwork. If someone's over from America, you know, you can fill a room. But maybe if it was more sort of local yeah. talent doing a similar thing, you know, there wouldn't be as bigger audience. And I suppose it might be still quite a bit of time before that changes. I don't yeah. know. No, definitely. I remember when I saw, I think Tyler Childers was 2020. Yeah, it was January 2020, just before lockdown. And, you know, most country and roots audiences for like the independent stuff, slightly older. Yeah. Crowd, yeah. Slightly white hair. Tyler Childers <laughs> sold out shows young like teenagers up i was like where the fuck have all these people come from <laughs> yeah like where did Suddenly they come them? out the woodwork yeah. <laughs> like it absolutely baffled me but it's interesting to see that there is a demand there like sierra ferrell's coming over in june and those have sold really well those shows have either sold out or long. they're on the way to sound it's like where the fuck have all these people come from <laughs> it's a really interesting thing but with kind of the country versus americana thing where do you kind of see yourself sat like if you had to pick a side or pick a genre what do you kind of consider yourself as because like banjo is obviously associated with bluegrass and things but you don't really consider yourself a bluegrass like what's no you think you are um i'd say i mean i don't really like the fact that there has to be sort of Mm. genre definitions but i do get as well that it it kind of helps in some situations and i'd say that i'm definitely more folky Americana mm. than country. This new EP is more country, but in general, I think if someone came to one of my live shows where there's a variety of songs in the set list, there's quite a lot of, uh, it, it, it's not really any kind of traditional country, I yeah. wouldn't say. It's it's a bit more of a melting pot of stuff. And some of it's actually quite on the folky side I'd say Mm. some of it's a bit more bluesy a bit more country so Americana is a kind of very convenient catch-all term for that isn't it so I think that's why I tend to label myself more as Americana Mm. just because it kind of covers all aspects of whichever song I'm doing at that time (laughs) no that makes total sense with your live setup because I've only seen you play live once I was at the hen house it presents thing last year you had that board as well because the thing i enjoyed about you was obviously you had the banjo and stuff but then you like obviously stopped that and it was purely like your own body your percussion like rhythm for uh, that one song what's mm-hmm. the kind of setup for is that the wood mic or anything or is there anything yeah so the wood is um it's just like a little uh it's hollow underneath and mm. it's just got like you know those little like bug pickup type yeah, so things you stick on um it's just got those underneath so then that goes through uh, a little sort of preamp pedal type thing and then into the desk so that they can boost the the bass and take out the treble of the wood and it just mm. makes it quite boomy um so yeah that that came about fairly early days when i first started performing i didn't have it but um then i wrote a song uh you know, for stepping, and I saw someone using something similar at a, a festival, and I was like, "Oh, yeah, that's really cool." So I got my friend to make me the mm. wooden bit, and then I put the pickup on and, and worked out how to kind of get it working to a desk. And yeah, it's um, it's handy because 
like well a is good for the stepping song obviously mm. but for the rest of the songs it gives it that beat yeah. and it it just adds that little bit of depth because the problem with the banjo i mean obviously if i'm playing with double bass it's nice because it's got the balance and it has the low end then of the bass but when i'm on my own it's a and it's an extremely high and dry instrument you know the tone mm. is high because all the tuning's high you've not got the bass strings of a guitar and you've not got the resonance and the sustain of a guitar it's very it's just dry so mm. like it can be quite a quite a stark high sound yeah. so just having that nice sort of contrast with the the stomp board it mm. you know it, it's nice and then johnny likes it because when he's playing bass with me it gives him a beat because obviously yeah. we don't have a drummer so that's always harder for a bass player when there's no drums keeping us all in time <laughs> so yeah it's um yeah it was a good little invention in addition to yeah. my set that board <laughs> yeah. no cool and did you have to experiment with like the shoes that you wear for that because i can imagine like if you're wearing vans it's not going to have the same impact <laughs> yeah. as if you were yeah you definitely can't wear rubber sole <laughs> shoes um at first i actually had some taps on my um i, I like just put some taps on an old pair of boots mm. Um, and when I was um, playing with Ash, uh, before I had this board that's got the pickup, I just had like a flat bit of wood, like more of a just standard uh, piece of wood. And so for that, I used to use actual taps. But then since I've got this one that's mic'd up, um, it, any hard sole, sh- you know, yeah. shoe is all right. So I tend to perform in cowboy boots because obviously they've got the, yeah. the hard sole uh, and the good heel. So yeah, that, that works for all the stomping and the stepping. <laughs> no, awesome. And with like, in my head, it's like you're playing the banjo and you're keeping rhythm with your feet. Obviously that's from your dancing background and training to be able to keep that time. Cause I can drum a bit, but it breaks my brain the second I have to do like four things at once. <laughs> so seeing you play live was, it's, it's at a different level because you see obviously like the banjo stuff and you see you're moving about but it's creating that rhythm in time was that hard to kind of practice with did you have like a regimen that you did to kind of get in that zone and get to that level or was it from your dance background and banjo uh, yeah I don't know I think maybe the dance background does help because instantly it's that I can't play without tapping my foot you mm. know when I watch people who play instruments but don't tap their feet I'm fascinated i'm like how how do you do that how do you just do it in your head and not with your foot so right from when i first started playing i think i'd always use my foot as the rhythm um so yeah it comes naturally just kind of beating my foot and then when i worked out the stepping songs um yeah everyone always says it looks like you know rubbing your stomach and patting your head thing you know um like how do you do how do you do that at the same time but for me I think, you know, it, it came quite naturally sort of singing over the top of the step in because mm. dancing is what I've always done. That actually came more naturally than the playing a lot of the time. Mm. So that was okay. But, but there is like, yeah, there's a song where I do uh, singing, stepping and banjo at the same time. That one's more complicated. <laughs> that's one where i don't want to have had like a lot of pints before yeah. i try doing it yeah or someone starts clapping on the offbeat and it's fun. yeah i'm a bit worried about the kids on monday because they all have like shakers and yeah. stuff oh. i'll be like oh my god <laughs> that will be an interesting one i hope you film some some of it as well just for uh, posterity yeah 
<laughs> and with the Cloud of Dust EP coming out, when is that? Because Fine Line's out April 29th. When's the full EP coming out? Uh, the full EP will be uh, the beginning of September. Yeah, that's the plan. Um, and I'm trying to organise like a little tour around mm. um, September for that. So, yeah, that's the plan. Cool. And with the EP, what was, obviously you've said it's like more of a country leaning sound than you'd normally go to. What was the thought process behind that? Because the fine line track I was listening to and it stands out as if it's like, you know, if Dolly Parton put that on it, like the grass is blue too, it would fit perfectly. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> like that's, it's that type of song that has that kind of pedigree to it that like exemplifies like what, like that kind of sound is, I think what was the kind of thought process behind doing us like making it sound like that and doing more of a country sound than anything? I think just because certain songs when I wrote them I'd got that kind of sound in my head you know like obviously when you're composing a song and you've only got the one instrument uh, it's always a bit tricky because it's going to sound you know not that dynamic because mm. it's you've, you've only got that one instrument but you sometimes hear in your head don't you what what it would yeah. sound like with more instruments and everything and I think fine line right from the start I always heard it with harmonies and like maybe with pedal steel um so I just yeah and and, and percussion so I'd always kind of heard it a bit bigger than I could mm. play it and for that reason actually it's one I hardly play out I don't mm. play it out very much um because when I'm solo I don't think it does it justice mm. I don't think it's one of the better songs to play solo um but if I've got a band with me then you know I like the fuller sound and then there's another one uh, on the EP called well it's called Between the Lines but the full title is I should have read Between the Lines when you crept between the sheets <laughs> and, <laughs> and that is obviously harking back to 70s style country with yeah. the funny song titles and um it's that's very sort of Loretta Lynn kind of inspired um and I, I wrote that when I got back from America and you know, we've been to Texas and a lot of dive bars and like traditional like honky tonk stuff mm. going on. And so again, when I wrote that, it's very tongue in cheek. It's a funny song. Um, but I heard it bigger. Like mm. I heard it with like maybe some electric guitar, pedal steel, drums and stuff. Uh, and then Whiskey Feet, which I think will be the next single. Mm. Because I'm going to bring maybe one more song out before the EP. Uh, and Whiskey Feet again has quite a big sound like and even the style of banjo I play on it it's quite bluesy it's bar mm. chords I think I might have played that at the gig you were at I can't remember now but um yeah that that sort of has always needed a bit more of a like big drum beat yeah. on it and like so I don't know they just sort of sat together it felt like you know and then there's a song called Run which was the first song I ever wrote and that's got a very old timey um feel to it so we wanted to record that just live with mm. there's there's me there's double bass there's guitar and fiddle and we were literally just four of us in mm. the room did a load of tapes so it's completely nice. just live um and it has that feel to it and then the only song that's maybe a little bit left field of all that is um one called English Bay and that's probably got more of a you know it, it I think it sits okay with the rest for this EP mm. but that's probably more the direction that 
future things might take because it's got that slightly more folky acoustic feel to it um yeah and it's got like a droning organ Mm. through it and now i've got an accordion player in my uh, regular musician lineup so yeah i feel like that's maybe direction that it'll go a bit more towards cool and with the tour in september you're going to be going out with the full band uh, it's going to be a trio tour mostly mm, awesome. so it'll be yeah me johnny and l so double bass accordion and elders gorgeous harmonies so yeah and um, but the ep sort of the big launch like sheffield show uh that'll be full band i'll have drums mm. and fiddle and stuff for that oh amazing who is actually playing on your record with you who's who did the pedal steel for this like finally uh, so the pedal steel is a guy called jim widdup mm. who is based in derby um and he's amazing like absolutely like class pedal steel player uh, and i know him through ash so he mm. plays in ash's band ash gray and the burners he does the pedal steel for those for them and he you know he does his own loads of his own stuff and other uh, bands and projects as well so yeah he's on the pedal steel um thomas dib who has recorded and produced it is on guitar mm. um and then obviously johnny on bass and it's a guy called dan Weber on drums i don't mm. know if you know him he's based more like stockport manchester kind of oh, way cool. um but he's a brilliant drummer and he was really what I needed actually for this project because I've never played really with drums much mm. apart from like one or two big shows, like for tram lines or the EP launch and stuff. I don't regularly play with drums. And so I always find it hard when I'm thinking about recording, like what drum beat would go with yeah. it. Cause I'm just not, I don't know anything about drums and I've not worked with drummers. So I always struggle a bit with thinking, well, what percussion would fit with this song? Whereas Dan's so intuitive, like he only needed to hear stuff a bit. And then he just came up with the perfect drum beat. So I was like, this is brilliant. And then when we were recording, he came up with like loads of good suggestions as well. So like there might've just been a couple of bars where he was like, well, it would sound much better if you just chopped that and went straight into this. Mm. And like all of a sudden the song was elevated. And I was like, that's brilliant. <laughs> but you know, it's stuff that I wouldn't think yeah. of, but session musicians who know what they're doing, yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. It's, cr- it's crazy when you actually meet talented people. That's why I've got like a, my fiddle player is just insane. And it's like, Oh, this is what real musicians are like. And it's like, Oh shit. It's so much better. No, thank you. <laughs> my name's still going on the front of it, but I really appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's one good bit of advice isn't it they always say just surround yourself with good people because yeah. <laughs> if you've got good people around you that know what they're doing you'll look a million times better <laughs> yeah 100 so you've got the ep coming out in september followed by a tour when are you looking at maybe doing a full-length record in the next couple of years oh <laughs> um I don't know I've always wanted to do the full album but I I equally don't want to rush it because Mm. I don't really have the money but the thought of the kickstarter campaign type things just makes me feel a bit sick not because I don't agree with them but just the stress of it um and the time it takes with a day job and so I've got a feeling (laughs) that there'll be one more EP in me before the main album only because I've got another little project that I feel would sit together well Mm. as a little collection. And I kind of want to get them out of the way. I don't know. In my head, it kind of works like 
we need to get those bits out the way because yeah. they're nice together and mm. like I don't know what to do with them on an album so yeah. I don't I feel like there's one more of those because I've got a little plan in mind mm. and then there'll be a full album yeah. so yeah it might still be a little while yet but well, um, no, that makes total sense it's almost like it's a concept like EP but it's not you know, like a concept where it's like got a whole like fantasy story attached to it, like Kisses the Elder or something. It's just like these all fit in the same thing. So this going out one time, and that makes total sense to be doing it in a way that makes sense to you and has collections that you can share with people in a way that's kind of cohesive. Yeah, and I think there's less emphasis on needing albums as well nowadays because of streaming and how people absorb music. Don't get me wrong, I still love a good album, but I'm as guilty as anyone of like picking and choosing songs and doing playlists and stuff rather than necessarily sitting with an album, even though I do still do that. And so I feel like, I don't know, there doesn't feel as much pressure to have to have a full no. length album. And like, I watch people just putting out singles and like, they're great tracks. And it's like, well, yeah, why not just put out a single, get yeah. it on a playlist, and then people just enjoy that song for a while. And like, there's nothing wrong with that. So I feel like that might be, yeah, there might be like a couple of singles and another EP. And then mm. eventually, maybe when I've won the lottery and, you know, <laughs> Or whatever yeah. I'll I'll sort of crack on with but I also just want to get my sound right as well yeah. for an album I feel like because my stuff is a little bit I mean obviously it's got the banjo as the lead thing which ties it together but they are quite different styles a lot of my songs and I feel like that's another reason to maybe put them on EPs do more live shows get mm. everything how I want it and then think right actually these sort of 11 tracks would work well together on a full mm. length. Let's let's yeah. put the investment into that, you know. But yeah. I think that's yeah, a little way off. <laughs> yeah, no, there's definitely a thought process to. Well, we're coming up to the hour mark, so I'll let you go, so I don't you don't get too sick of me. But um, yeah, I really oh. appreciate you taking the time to uh, chat to us. Yeah, no, thank you for having me. It's been fun. <laughs> And that is episode 49 of Into the Van, Into the Bag. Banjo Jen's new single, Fine Line, is out right now. Go listen to it everywhere you can. Keep supporting the things you love. Keep doing the things you love. Go out to live shows. And until next time, stay safe. Peace.